On January 1st, 1976, the Liberty Bell was moved in Philadelphia as part of the bicentennial celebration for our great nation. Philadelphia is one of the most iconic cities in America, and the Eagles fans are considered some of the toughest and rowdiest group of the bunch. One of those fans back in this same year was a season ticket holder for 10 years, and he was about to meet a man that would change his life and inspire a city, and it all revolved around a coach named Vermeil. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off the DeLorean, the date is September 12, 1976, and we are in Irving, Texas. We're at Texas Stadium, because we're here to watch the Philadelphia Eagles and their season opener against the defending Super Bowl champs, the Dallas Cowboys. Well, why are we here? I mean, last year the Eagles were horrible. Now we have new hope. That new hope comes in the form of Coach Dick Vermeil, and the city would latch on to the hope of one of their own, a 30-year-old bartender and a school teacher that tried out for his hometown team. He would end up making it on his hometown team, the Philadelphia Eagles. They would end up making a movie about him later on, 30 years later. That man's name, Vince Papali. He stepped out onto the field for his first ever regular season game on September 12, 1976 in Irving, Texas, at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Now, many know this story. The reason why many know this story is because it was made into a movie, a Disney movie called Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. He was playing the character of Vince Papali. And Greg Kinnear would play Dick Vermeil. I'll go ahead and leave links in the show notes to the movie and Vince's website so you can dig into it yourself even more into this incredible true story. Which, by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player choice or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Again, that's thefootballhistorydude.com. It's the best place to go to get even more information about the topics and guests that I bring on the show. Also, if you'd like to get more involved, and maybe even help the show out, you can support the show in various ways. You can review the show, subscribe, offer a donation, or even get some merchandise. Again, that's over at the website, thefootballhistorydude.com. But for now, let's go ahead and dive into this real-life, incredible story of Mr. Invincible Vince Papali. Hey Vince, welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Ronnie. Thanks very much. Yes, beautiful down where I'm at right now. I escaped to uh, Jupiter, Florida. Nice, yeah. And uh, speaking of being beautiful, the story that you have is a beautiful story that many of us have been able to be inspired by. And myself, I've just rewatched the movie again because it's something that I saw when I was younger, just coming out of high school. I, I graduated 2003 and the movie came out 2006. I understand that was the 30-year anniversary of Invincible. Uh I guess the first question I want to ask is, what was Philadelphia like as far as a sports fan, football fan, back in 1976 before this whole thing happened? Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate that very much, Ronnie, and uh, and your compliments. And, uh, you know, Invincible's sort of been, it, it's still that dream come true kind of a thing, pinch me. And and uh, my family and I last night, we actually watched the remake of um, 
of uh, Beauty and the Beast and, and, and to see how beautifully that was done. And then I look back and, and uh, actually played the trailer to the movie and saw how beautiful that how beautifully that was done and that I'm a Disney character sort of blows my mind, you know, and that, that's pretty crazy. So, um, 76, Philadelphia. Um, Frank Rizzo was the mayor. Um, uh, it was, um, the, the, the country was going through a, a recession. Uh, the Vietnam War was uh, just about wrapping up. Um, there was with the Philadelphia sports teams. We were not on the top of anything. Uh, you know, just almost all the, the major teams. We had the Flyers back then. Uh, we had the Sixers, uh, the Phillies, and of course the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and we didn't have any of the other, we didn't have lacrosse, we didn't have the indoor soccer, or any of those indoor leagues and indoor lacrosse that came up, uh, later on. But, you know, the four bigs and, uh, nothing was happening there, you know, and, and as they say, and, and, and what somebody wrote in, uh, what they, what they wrote in the bio is that, uh, the city was looking for somebody that they can hang on to. They were looking for a hero. And, uh, they, they turned to Rocky, was their guy, you know, I mean, he was the fictional, he was a fictional guy, rags to riches. All I was looking for was a shot at the big time. And, uh, and the movie, uh, came out right around the same time. It came out right after I was playing, but, uh, all of a sudden, once people sort of latched on to my story, uh, our story, I always say, because it's every person's dream come true. Um, then, then, uh, they started looking to me and I started be, being referred to as real life Rocky and, uh, it just catapulted from there all over the country, which was, was pretty crazy and pretty wild. But, um, you know, there was a time of despair, and, and people were looking for hope, just like we're looking for hope right now, and uh, looking for that silver lining, and, and I was the silver lining, at least for Philadelphia at that time. And then, when you know it, uh, four or five years later, uh, almost all of our teams are in the championships or are working way to the playoffs, and the Eagles, of course, getting into the Super Bowl, the Phillies into the World Series, the Sixers coming along, and the Flyers are coming off a couple of uh, Stanley Cup wins. So um, it was good. It was good. And you mentioned that the uh, the comparisons to Rocky and how the nation kind of latched on to you. In the movie, were the clips that they kept going back to where they talked about, and Papali is still on the team, and that was that real-life clips from back then, or was that made for the movie? Well, they made them from the movie, uh, but, but a lot of the clips, if you take a look at the clips that they show on the TV, were really uh, plays that I had made. Um, understanding that the guys that did our movie, it was, it was obviously a Disney production executive producer, Ken Mock, um, who took the risk and Brad Gann was the writer. Matter of fact, I've been texting, I've been texting with him the last couple of days and uh, we've been going back and forth, uh, because something really cool happened in our life. Our son, Vinny, just, uh, uh, he, he's signing somewhere and I can't say where at this point until they do a release, but our son, Vinny's going to get a shot to play pro football. And, um, and, and I was letting these guys know because they were such an important part of it. And, but, you know, with the kind of pedigree that it had, and Mark Chiardi and Gordon Gray, who did our movie, are the same guys that did Miracle, Rookie, the new guy, uh, Secretariat, Game Plan. But the, the Miracle and Rookie, uh, they were based on true characters. They were based on life. And a lot of the stuff that they drew from that was really what happened. And if you took a look at the miracle at the movie Miracle, which is without a doubt one of my top five sports movies ever. And uh, when you see that, you, you can you can pretty much run uh, what they did uh, on the cinema screen uh, side by side with what was really happening back there in 1980, and when we were winning the uh, winning winning the uh, the gold medal in the Olympics, and it was basically the same. So you know, a lot of those uh, flashbacks that they did there were really plays that I had made. 
And when you're watching a movie, when you see what went on in training camp, when you saw what was going on in the rough touch, what you saw was going on, anytime there was a pro uniform on, it was pretty much exactly uh, the way it was back in the day. And, uh, you know, even the, to the point where the, we're using headlights from cars sometimes in the field because, uh, the, 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 the lights on the, on the, on this little 80 yard field that we played on in the back of, uh, was they, in the movie they had at the Tankard Bar, but in real life it's called the T-Bar in suburban Philadelphia. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was the outfield for a softball field, you know, and, uh, and that's where we played. And occasionally the lights would go out and they'd bring the cars up, you know, so it was, it was pretty cool. But they, they were the flashbacks and it was there and they had to get, uh, they had to get the NFL's permission to do that. And it was very important for us to get, uh, the endorsement of the NFL to be able to use their branding. So a lot, a lot of stuff behind the scenes here, Arnie, when the movie was being made, which to me is, uh, I'm, I'm going to someday write, I'm going to write that book. You know, we're coming up on the 15th anniversary and when it comes up, uh, I'm going to write that book on the making of Invincible. So it, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine you've going through two different, um, the crowned achievements of being a fan and then getting in to be able to play for your, your hometown team. And then also then having a movie made about it 30 years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was pretty sick. That was, I mean, as, as my kids would say, yo dad, that's, that's totally dope. I mean, it was, it was really, uh, it was insane and sick. And you know, to come out of that tunnel that first time, uh, not to cut you off, but to come out of that tunnel for the first time in a regular season game against the New York Giants, and everybody was fully throated. And and they come through that tunnel, and they, they introduced the offense, and then they said the remainder of the Philadelphia Eagles. And, man, I tore – my feet didn't even touch the ground, Arnie. I just tore through the uh, the cheerleaders that were creating the gauntlet to come through and just sprinted, sprinted to the other side of the field. And, and they, they you know, the scene in the movie where they have me pointing up, uh, uh, one of that is when I was pointing up to my dad and, and and my and my buddies that I had season tickets with, so um, it, it was it was pretty wild. Yeah, I, uh, not to get all emotional, I'm actually getting a little bit of tears in my eyes, and you know how they get the hair on the back of your neck right now, just from kind of <laughs> help reliving your story through that. And I can't imagine again moving from that experience of first time running through the tunnel, then. 30 years down the road, that experience of sitting down in Hollywood or wherever they would have had the movie release and just saying, wow, they made a movie about me. I know you're super involved in it, but like, what was that experience that first time for that first screening for you? Well, the first screening was, was, was very interesting. And, but I, I, I'll take it back to the first time I went to the, uh, to the first set, as you, as you know, or, or you maybe not know, but uh, when, when a movie is being filmed, they film it out of sequence. So uh, the, the first shots that they shot were the ones between uh, Coach Romeo and his wife, Carol, and the two kids. And they were shot at a studio somewhere in Philadelphia. And uh, then that's, a, that's an interesting story that I could tell you, too, about how the movie uh, went from went to being shot in Philadelphia to being shot in, uh, in, in New York City. But um, so the first time I walked onto the set actually was when we were doing the pro scenes, and it was against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. And when I walked in there and I, and I saw, I, 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 I saw the, um, I saw the makeup trucks and, and about 50 yards away and we were outside the stadium at the University of Pennsylvania called Franklin Field where the Eagles won a world championship back in the day, uh, back in 1960. And that's where we were shooting those and they converted that into Veteran Stadium. So as I see the makeup truck and I see Greg Kinnear coming out of the makeup truck dressed as Zick Vermeil. 
I swore it was Dick Vermeil. Look, just <laughs> like him. Uh, b- between the makeup and the hair weave and all that. I mean, he had to put a hair weave in poor Greg, and he was itching all the time. But um, he played it to the hilt. I'd have swore. And then when I walked in the tunnel and onto the field, I, I wasn't ready for what I saw with production cameras all over the place, people in the stands, 5,000 extras. Um, Mark Wahlberg, you know, seeing Mark, and he and I had already connected and we were we were working out together two weeks prior to the movie, and uh, with a guy by the name of uh, Jennings from the Miami Dolphins, and uh, we were working on Mark and perfecting his skills, and I was showing him some of the tricks of my trade. And, but to walk on the uh, walk on that football field and, and to see that, and to see the actors and and all the extras, and to see all the equipment, uh, it it just blew me away. And then, you know, you go through the production, which is really cool, where everywhere every set that we went to they'd they'd have a um they would have our uh director's chairs with our names on them and there would be video monitors and be a be about an eight by eight tent and there'd be gatorade in there for us and the script for the day so you're going through that and then they're going to show you the first screening and i get the first screening and they're going to do it in new york city and it's it's at the disney uh, disney headquarters in new york city right down the street in park avenue from the nfl so you have all the NFL execs, you have all the stars in the movie, with Mark behind me, with my son and daughter, Gabrielle and Vinny, and you just saw Gabrielle on the outside. Gab- Gabby now, she's 26, but when the movie was being shot, she was 10 and 10 and 11, 10, 10, 10 years old. And Vinny was 6, 7 at that particular time. So they're sitting behind me, and when I saw the movie for the first time come on, and the first thing, like last night when I was watching Beauty and the Beast, Ronnie, they show the, they show the castle, and they're doing, no, 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 you know, the Disney myth. So then, and then the, the, uh, the fireworks going. And when that came on, I got the chills like you can't even possibly imagine. And then with Jim Croce is singing, I got a name. Uh, and that was the opening scene. And then they, they, they did a montage of what it was like in Philadelphia back in 76. And they recreated that. Uh, it, it just brought me to my knees. And then, so then I'm going through the movie and I'm watching and I'm saying, whoa, look at how they did that scene. Look at this. Look at that. You know, I was, because I'm a, I was, I'm a TV radio guy in the past, and I'm really into production. And, and I was more, more than anything, rather than the story, I was into how they, how they produced and how they did those scenes, because I was there for almost every shot uh, that was taken for every, uh, every inch of, uh, of film that they had. And, and then finally at the end, uh, when, they, when they did the credits, and then they put the, the, the black and white where it's me, and, and I see me up there. I, I just broke down and right behind me, Mark breaks down. My kids are crying and they flip the lights on and they started laughing. They said, ah, we got you, Papawi. We got you. We knew we'd get you on that one. And that's when I realized that, that's when I realized, Donnie, that, that this is, this is my story. This is our story. And, and then from there, they sweetened it up, uh, put some more music in and, you know, put a couple of effects in. But uh, it was pretty cool to see that raw one. And I saw it up in New York with my buddy Mark, who I stay in touch with all the time, by the way. Yeah, I saw an interview where you were interviewing him on set, and it seemed like you guys had pretty good camaraderie there, and you seemed like you really did have that back and forth. Did you guys have any back and forth when the Eagles ended up beating the Patriots that, <laughs> a couple years ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we had a good time with that. Mark, uh, well, first of all, as I said, uh, Mark and I had, uh, had trained together at a local high school, Northeast High School, where ironically my wife went to. It was not a Giants fan. It was world class gymnast, by the way, and uh, and so so we we trained there, and then he actually came to our house 
on a couple of occasions. Um, when he stays in Philadelphia, he stays in a really cool area called Rittenhouse Square at, uh, at the Rittenhouse. And there's a great bunch of restaurants and bars. And we, every night we were, we were uh, fraternizing and just getting to know each other in that respect. And then, so when it came time when we were going to shoot the movie, you know, he basically said that he was, he felt a lot of pressure that I was going to be on the set all the time. And, and, and the whole thing, uh, you know, between Mark and I, uh, it, it was a matter of respect and a matter of trust. You know, I trusted him that he was going to play it to the hilt and, uh, he respected me. I respected him. And, uh, I guess it did okay because as I said, you know, here we are. They shot the movie, they shot the movie in 05 and, and here we are 15 years later. We're still very close to the point. Now we're at the Super Bowl. And I have my family out there, uh, Gabriella and Vinny, and uh, and we're there, and, and we we're we're all eagled up. I'm not wearing my jersey, but we're all eagled up. And and it, it's very difficult for me to go anywhere where there's an Eagles football game and there's fans. But you know, I, I can tell you that I I didn't buy one beer when I was in the stadium at <laughs> right. the Super Bowl. But yeah, it was they were you know every time every time a vendor would go by, there'd be one sitting right there in front of me. Anyway, so but. So I was busting Mark's chops. You know, he's got he's got Wahlburgers, and there's an Invincible Burger. So we're in the Mall of America. We're going to take the train from the Mall of America into the stadium in, in Minnesota, and we're walking around the mall just chilling before they uh, before we're taking off. And there's a Wahlburger. So I take a picture of it, and and when I saw waking up with the Wahlburgers in the background, and I send it to him, and I said, "Let me tell you something, dude. If you're here in a Patriots uniform." I'm going to come and get you and rip it off your back, right? And just kidding around, he knows. Wouldn't you know what I, and two minutes later, I get a FaceTime from him. And here, he was in Bogota, Colombia, filming Mile 22. And laughing his, in his butt off. And then he said, come on, everybody, come on over here. I got Pally. He called me Pally. He said, I got Pally on the phone. So next thing you know, all the, uh, all the actors and whatever that scene they were creating there, they all came over and, and we had the biggest laugh in the world. So. Um, and you know, Mark, he's, he's, he's a Patriots fan and I understand that, but, uh, you know, um, when, when the Eagles are playing, he'll root for the Eagles, but hey, that, it, that's all good. And, you know, we have, we have our fun with it. Somebody actually, uh, came out with a jersey that on the front, it had, uh, 83 and on the back, 83 Papalian on the back, it had, uh, number 12 Brady, which I thought was pretty bad. <laughs> but, uh, and I thought that's the one, I thought that's the one he might be wearing there, but uh, no, he was at, uh, he, he was in Bogota, Colombia. And um, it, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me at any one time for Mark just, I, I look down, I'll see FaceTime and there's Mark. Hey, what are you, what are you doing, pal? I just thinking of you, you know, doing this. And he's an animal, man. He, he's just in such great shape and he's a family man. I, I just love him to get, love him to death. He's like a brother to me. Little brother. Yeah. That whole story with him and you and your story, everything is just kind of nuts. And that kind of leads me into the next, uh, what was the who's nuts on the t-shirt? What's the, what, what does that represent? That's a great T-shirt, man. Uh, you know, you can you Google it up. You know, put it on your website. It, it's there. What, 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 we had we had a great special teams coach. His name was Kenny Iman. Kenny, uh, when he came in, he came as a rookie coach. He was the center for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals at uh, back in the day for 15, 16 years. I think he wound up with the Rams. So um, you know, here's a guy as a center long snapper, and he he's been hit in the head a few times. And he was he was just hilarious. The stuff that came out. So he created this thing. Called Who's Nuts? W H O apostrophe S N U T S, and in the middle was the Eagles logo with the flying bird, not with the fierce swing that they have right now. The fierce bird they have, they had the flying bird with the the football and its talons. So he gave him these Who's Nuts T-shirts, and here's what it was all about, Arnie. Back in the day, they used to they used to give out um, they used to give out uh, 
bounties uh, for guys if, if they made big hits on, on players, especially quarterbacks. A guy might get a cash bonus. Uh, he might wind up with a refrigerator. I mean, it's true. This, this really was happening uh, back in the 60s and in the, in the, uh, the early 70s. So, uh, but then, the, then they found out about it. The NFL found out about it, Pete Rosell, and they, they obviously and wisely, they, uh, they outlawed bounties. But what we came up with was, we came up with the Who's Nuts, and the Who's Nuts, in essence, was a bounty shirt for anybody on special teams that made a big hit, and it was our game ball. And, um, the Who's Nuts game ball, basically, or Who's Nuts t-shirt. So you can only get the shirt if you won a game. And, uh, and, and the, you had to make a big hit, like, uh, uh, force a fumble uh, that was recovered or just force a fumble or make a game-saving tackle, those kinds of things. I, I think in my career, I got about seven or eight of them. So, and, and then here's a really cool one. I just found it the other day. I was walking around with it, uh, and, and, and it's a great T-shirt. It says, Who's Nuts International? And my son, Vinny, who's the football player, uh, he says, Dad, he's <laughs> dude, he says, that's a pretty cool T-shirt. He says, I found it. Actually, I got that T-shirt in 1977. When we were playing the uh, when we were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis, and this guy jumped over the uh, in the stands because back then in those conversion stadiums you could you could literally jump right over the front row and into the into the field, and he just comes up and he gives me the T-shirt and it says "Welcome to the Who's Nuts Club, Who's Nuts International." So uh, every once in a while I, I wear it around, especially because when you sweat it shows real good. I I like to sweat show every once in a while. So. <laughs> But that's that's the who's nuts, and uh, you know we have them on our website, vincentcowery.com. You can get them, and I sign them. But it's cool. No, it's very cool. I just it struck out in my mind because when I watched the, uh, I believe it was from 1976 or whenever they had the ESPN uh, classic uh, interview, then it showed you taking your shoulder pads off, and you were pretty proud of that shirt. I had to know why, where did that come from. So it sounds like it was a brotherhood of tenacity or something like that. Well, you hit it right on the head. It is that brotherhood, you know, and it's amazing, uh, the brother, the brotherhood uh, that we have in the NFL and the guys that are together right now, um, as, as, uh, as long as they now, they may now be called the legends community, but, you know, we're, we're, we're a fraternity. You know, we don't look at ourselves as legends. I don't know where that came from, but, uh, if you ask any one guy, they would never think that. But, um, yeah, it's a strong fraternity and that was, that was the brotherhood and that's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, I mean, of course, us, us as fans, we use that term a lot, and it's 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 maybe the wrong term, but I would say there's an inspiring aspect that many players go through. Uh, yourself, obviously, a, a big inspiration. And when I was at the Hall of Fame, I was able to hear all these different speeches of these players that have gone to the pinnacle, of course, but just this over coming and overwhelming obstacle that almost everyone probably every one of those players have had to overcome to get to where they were it's something that we can translate into business personal life anything that it is and i think that that's one reason why we grasp onto our favorite players and the moments that they share with them well i appreciate that and you know it's it's funny because i was that guy you know i'm i'm the guy that sat in the stands and i and i would grasp onto a certain player. And when I was younger, because I was a little kid and I was, I was tiny and everybody told us I was too small to play football. I, I latched onto a, a guy by the name of Tommy McDonald. And, um, and he was my idol, my hero. And to me, one of my proudest moments was have the opportunity to meet him. And you know what the first thing he did is he hugged me and told me how proud he was of me. And, and, and let me tell you something, Ronnie, to have him, to have a guy like Pete Retzlaff, who we just lost. We lost Tommy and, and have Steve, uh, 
um, uh, 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 Jack Narek, our, our middle linebacker, and, and it just 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 means so much to me. Yeah, I uh, I wondered about that because it said Tommy McDonald in the movie, and that stuck out with me. So that was one of your childhood here or players that you latched onto when you grew up. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. Tommy was my guy. And, um, and, uh, ironically, um, his son, Paige Wide Receiver, played wide receiver at the University of Delaware, where my son went, and he and I are still very close. But, uh, yeah, Tommy, Tommy was my man, and I, I read his book, they came in to, to catch footballs. I've, um, uh, I used to emanate his drills where I'd, I'd lay on the ground and throw the ball up into the ceiling, and I, I lived in a housing project house with a ceiling about eight feet high, and uh, you'd see the top of the, you'd see our wall in the living room, and it would be pockmarked with, with my football that I'd be bouncing off the ceiling. So, um, yeah, Tommy was my guy. And, and, uh, but you know, we all need heroes in our life. So. Yeah, I agree. And it keeps us going and various reasons. And speaking of keeping going, if, if you could go back to the night before that first tryout and you could give yourself some piece of advice after living so many years past that, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I would tell my younger self to uh, to just chill, you know, and uh, there's a different meaning for chill these days, but in that day it was just to relax and do whatever you needed to do in order to get yourself ready. But, uh, you know, if anything, what you need to do, I think, is, is visualize yourself uh, being successful, and visualization uh, was very important for me. I was, um, when, they, when they ran that first 40-yard dash in the tryout, I, I, I was watching guys, and I thought clocked a pretty decent time, but... I wasn't sure what it was, but I, I just had to get away from it, and I visualized myself being a, being a cheetah, actually. And um, and it was that that, uh, that that I think allowed me to run that four or five on grass, so I don't even know what it would be in turf. So pretty um, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fast time. I mean, I <laughs> I've never touched anything close to that. And speaking of visualization. Uh, one of the greatest athletes of all time, Jim Thorpe, when he was on the boat over to uh, Sweden for the Olympics, that's what they had talked about. Some, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he came up to him and he's like, what are you doing taking a nap? And he said, I'm watching myself win the race or something along those lines. And that was one of the first recorded ones that I personally was able to, uh, I guess you could see where someone would visualize the outcome. Wow. And that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I'll jump in there for a second. My wife Janet was, uh, as I said, not a Giants fan. She, we were, they were, she was cast that way, so we get the the NFL's uh, branding rights. But um, you know, in, in reality, she was a world cast gymnast on the USA team. You talk about Olympics. Uh, she was on that team that went to Munich, but uh, was injured, so they didn't. She didn't compete. Um, but she did compete in the World Games. But she, as a coach, she would have her. Uh, and she coached at the University of Penn, she would have her athletes visualize their routine on the ground and just go through everything on the ground, especially the balance beam. And, uh, and she still does that. And that's what she taught, you know, which was, which was pretty, um, a very effective way of, of coaching and te- teaching people. Yeah, I agree that visualization is extremely important. And, uh, someone that had a vision himself, which at the same time, maybe a lot of people didn't agree was, Coach Dick Vermeule, uh, can you describe your relationship and what you thought of Coach Vermeule? Oh, my God, yeah. I'm still so very close to him. That was a great segue, by the way, in the, a book I wrote with uh, Danny Franks, number 53, the white knuckle guy. 
uh, called uh, Last Lap Vision of Victory. And uh, you, I know, are the Hall of Fame. And our picture called The Last Lap of us yucking it up on the sideline after a big hit. And we got Who's Nuts t-shirts. Um, and Dick Vermeil uh, is, is, it the, is it the Hall of Fame. And Dick Vermeil is one of the people that we featured in the book. You know, somebody who's going basically from nowhere to what he got to become head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Dick Vermeil gave me the opportunity of a lifetime, Marty. I mean, how many? I, and I, Never. And the phone call where I don't end the phone call with telling him how much I, I love him and respect him and thank him for what he's done. He has totally changed my life. And, you know, and what I am today, uh, a lot of it because of him. And when I get out and speak, I talk about those people in your life that have such made it, have made such an important, tremendous impact. And he's, he's certainly one of them along with my high school football coach and my school teachers. But coaches, he, he, he was a, he was a, he was a hard guy. In the beginning, uh, really stubborn, you know, it was, it was his way or the highway. But, you know, it's me. There was something about me that connected with him. Uh, it might have been our, our Italian-American heritage. It might have been the fact that we were both school teachers, uh, that we were both uh, tiny when we were smaller, said it would never happen, never get anywhere. Uh, the fact that we were both coaches, uh, the fact that our fathers were, were both mechanics. And, and there was just, there was something going on there. You know, Arnie, there was that karma. That was there, and 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 I, and and I know he knew. He said he never saw anybody run as fast as I ran in, in grass back in that day. He said when I I said what was it that attracted you? He said the speed, and then he said when I saw how physically tough you were and wouldn't back around, wouldn't back away from anybody. He says every day he was basically cheering for me, but he didn't want to do it out loud because he had to deal with his other coaches. And what you saw in the movie was basically the way it was. It was with some of those coaches, but you know I had a couple of advocates. And, uh, and, and one of them, the biggest one was Coach Vermeil. And, and he told me, um, when the rookie, when, when, when the rookies, we just had one, we had a camp. His first training camp was eight weeks. And, and, and that first camp, he just brought in a bunch of rookies and free agents. And I was just killing it, you know, knocking these kids around. They're 22, 23 years old. And I'm slamming everything that's moving that has a, a, an opposite color jersey on and catching everything that's being thrown to me. And uh, c- Coach just loved it. But when the veterans got there, I backed off. And he said, you know, he pulled me in. He said, what's going on? You're not the same guy. I says, he said, are you intimidated? I said, no, I'm in awe. He said, you're in awe of these guys? These guys? You're in awe? Look what, you know, look at look at how they played last year. He said, he's, I'll tell you what. He says, you better get out of this awe stuff. He says, I'm going to give you two weeks. I'll give you a couple of preseason games. And if you don't show me what you showed last week, you're gone. Okay, Coach. That's it. Well, guess what? I'm here. I survived the night game. And I wound up actually leading the team in receptions. He gave me the shot of a lifetime against the Miami Dolphins in our fourth preseason game when Howard Carmichael, our Hall of Famer now, uh, Howard Carmichael, uh, he, 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 he went down with a, with a bad ankle. And Coach told me, he says, are you ready? I said, Coach, I was born ready, man. And uh, I started that game and just just killed it, absolutely killed it. And in every phase of the game for the first half, and the next day, Coach shared a highlight of me up there on the film uh, on the field the night before at the Orange Bowl. And at that point on, I knew I had a teammate. And then it was amazing, Arnie, how much the other guys on the team, offense and defense, started coming up to me, giving me a hand, giving me a pointer, because they knew eventually I was probably going to wind up on the team. So, and uh, and I didn't play that poorly in the Cowboys game. It was, <laughs> it was pretty. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty dramatic, but it was, it was done very well. And, you know, that scene where Mark drives through the city 
and and uh, the little boy comes out and runs out in, in front of the, the car and picks up the football. That's my son, Penny. Oh, really? Is, yeah, who is going to sign to play professional football this week. And uh, and also um, my daughter, Gabriella, um, who works for the 76ers, she uh, she was the quarterback to go on the pigtails that threw the ball under the street. So uh, when I see that, I get very emotional when I see that scene. Gabby has a great arm. She, she has a gun for an arm. She, she does the best Tom Brady impersonation you've ever seen. It's perfect. <laughs> she, she's better than Brady, I think. It's really cool and so funny. So, yeah, I'm a lucky guy. Oh, yeah. I'd, luck is a good way to put it, but I think it comes from that grit, tenacity, passion, and any other kinds of adjectives you want to use. And I, I just got one of those, again, moments where my whole entire body started getting the chills because <laughs> of how cool it that has to be as a father, as a fan of the Eagles, as a brother, a son, every other thing. It just so cool to be able to experience everything that you have as an individual. And I hope everything else, you know, that you do in life just comes out with the same results. Uh, one question that I do always have for every guest is I'm giving you the virtual keys to my DeLorean. You can go back in time to any point in history. Considering you're an Eagles fan, I'm guessing you're going to an Eagles point. Let's go before your career. You can be an observer, a fly on the wall, but you can't change the outcome. What moment are you going to? Oh man, is this uh, is this prior to me being born at any time in history? Any time in history, the DeLorean, man, you can get that flux capacitor up to eight point twenty one gigawatts, and you can go anywhere you want. Yeah, we got the old DeLorean. I do remember the DeLorean. Well, let me just uh, let me just uh, I guess if anything, I'd like to uh, do something and go go back in time uh, to when I was uh, living. And I think I would like to go back to in a time where we were together as a family with my mother, who was a great athlete. My father was a great athlete. And we were all anywhere just down on the Jersey Shore, on the beaches, uh, with my cousins. I think that if you pick any one day um, in the last two weeks in August, right before Labor Day, where I'd be with my, my sister and my father and my mother. Uh, all together as a family that I would just love to have that one more time and watch my grandfather floating in the ocean just on his back with the waves just crashing around him. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would, that would give me the ultimate joy. That would, that would be the ultimate, uh, uh, ultimate, uh, flashback. Well, Vince, I think we started off by saying that your story was beautiful, but I think we ended it by saying that your vision and your remembering going back in the DeLorean is beautiful, too. So I just want to say thank you again for joining the Football History Dude podcast. Thanks, Ronnie. You did a great job. And anybody wants to get me out there or do anything, just go to VincePatelli.com. A lot of fun stuff going on there. So I, I appreciate it, Ronnie. Now, how about that story? I'll tell you what, if that doesn't bring you to your knees, then uh, you probably don't have a pulse. And you're like the Tin Man, you need a heart kind of thing. Or was that the Scarecrow? I don't know. One of those guys that needed to have a heart. But if you remember living it, like, I don't really remember living it. I just remember it from the movie. Or if you even remember watching the movie, I got to imagine that you have your own favorite football moment that you'd like to relive. For me, I guess the closest thing I can come to as far as Vince playing football with his heroes of the game would be when I went and played against some of the Detroit Lions players against uh, a charity basketball game. And also I would go to their training camp, that kind of thing. Speaking of Detroit Lions, though, one of this week's favorite football moments comes from a Lions fan, but he's across the pond. And then the other story is going to go back to the time 
in the NFL right around when Vince Papali was in the middle of his career. Take it away, football dudes. Hi, football history dudes. Uh, love the podcast. Uh, it's James uh, from Liverpool in England. I am, like yourself, a huge Detroit Lions fan. Have been for as long as I can remember. Um, absolutely love them. My football memory would be watching my Lions play over here at Wembley Stadium against the Falcons with the last minute, last second winning field goal. It was amazing. It was amazing to see the Lions. It was just unbelievable for me as a big fan. Keep up the good work, mate. Cheers. Bye. This is Greg from CFL America. And uh, my first football memory is a 1977 game between the Miami Dolphins and the St. Louis Cardinals, in which Bob Greasy threw, I believe, six touchdowns. And uh, Conrad Dober, at the end of the game, chucked his helmet into the stands. And that, I believe, was the last time that the Cardinals were on Thanksgiving uh, before uh, the 21st century. And that's two more people reliving their favorite football moments of all time. And if you're interested in sharing your favorite football moment on the show, or even maybe stating your case for a person or a player, coach, what have you, that you think needs to be in the Hall of Fame, you can do both of those things by heading over to myfootballmoment.com for the details. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe with your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs>